Welcome to the Inclusive Chamber podcast, a new platform from the Cincinnati USA Regional Chamber highlighting best practices in diversity, equity, and inclusion. In each episode, we'll meet leaders who will bring to life our strategic imperative to model inclusion in everything we do. I'm Mary Stagaman, your host for the Inclusive Chamber. Our guest today is Mike Sippel Jr., president of Centennial and host of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Mike is an expert in succession planning, talent acquisition strategies, employment branding, community engagement, and building high-performing executive teams. Welcome, Mike, to the Inclusive Chamber. Mary, thank you so much for having me today. I'm just delighted to do it. It's great to be with you again. Let's start out just by talking a little bit about Centennial because I think it's such an interesting company. Tell us a little about the history. Sure. So I am a third generation owner of Centennial, second generation family. Centennial was actually started by Jim and Mary Morris. They had moved back to Cincinnati. They were boomerangs, moved back to Cincinnati from Pittsburgh. My father was their first employee. Um, They did not have children. Um, So not only being first employee, but over the period of time, almost became a surrogate son to the Morrises. Um, Jim died in a fatal accident in 1980. Mm. Um, So many of the community that knows Centennial knows that we work heavily in succession planning. And this is one of the reasons, because my dad experienced being thrusted into succession in 1980 as the youngest partner at the time, um, became president of the firm because Mary and Jim had talked about that. They just never made him aware of that. So Mary asked him to take over the company for her and lead the organization. Um, 1998, my parents purchased the business from Mary uh, Morris, who was at that time 84 years old, and uh, said, Mike, I think it's time, Mike Sr., my father, I think it's time for me to sell the business. Um, So I joined the company in 2001. Actually, for all of those listening, I was going to school for turf grass and landscape management, uh, paying my way through school at Centennial. And um, to be frank, I fell in love with what our family business did. I love the focus of people and organization strengths. And uh, here I am 19 years later um, running the family business and uh, we have 15 employees and have recently launched in the last year and a half the Talent Magnet Institute as well. Well, so you answered my second question before I asked it, which was I expect that you had many career opportunities or paths ahead of you, and yet you chose this one. I do have to ask whether you still are close to the turf. Do you cut the grass at home? So actually, I do not cut our grass right now. Uh, My father has recommended that I not do that and leave that margin for my family and kids. Um, But I do, uh, we do have a great landscape at home. Oh, great. And uh, here at the office. We now have a beautiful landscape you too. You do indeed. So, yes, yeah. that's absolutely um, So our right. family loves being outside and loves working in the yard and um, beautification is important. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, one of the things, Mary, that I enjoyed so much about landscaping and turf grass management was you got to interact with your customers all the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you got to build relationships and the, the instant gratification of beautifying something was, is, pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but it was the people interaction. Right. And when I walked into this business, I realized just how much people interaction the executive search and talent strategy work really well, is. That's what it's all that's about, That's what it's right? all about. Yeah. So as we think about that with, you know, almost 20 years in the business under your belt, 
How have you seen the work evolving over that time? You know, how has it changed and how has Centennial evolved to mm. meet those changing needs? That's a great question. So the focus today is we are so focused on the individual experience. And I would say, and that, that's a global talent comment, right? That individual experiences matter. Um, you can't, you know, if you have thousands of employees, you need, you, you know, some would say you can't touch all 1,000. Well, your organization can because those people are interacting with people every single day. And many say that culture is the thousands and thousands of interactions that happen every day and how people feel about those. I would say that the the global economy is focusing more on culture and individual experience more than ever. Historically, I would say it was more about the corporate, just the corporate business focus, what we're trying to achieve. And those that were winning, those that win, know that it's more than just what's the business trying to achieve. It's how can we also help and impact the people who are working with us, for us, and around us. Mm-hmm. And um, and I would say that's those are areas that, again, many would say that that's what Centennial's been all about. That's why we have our 4C recruiting process that focuses not just on competency, but character, culture, and chemistry of teams, of employees, of interactions, of customers. But we've had to do be as cutting edge as we can on the employee experiences and on corporate culture and on employment branding and the value of retention and the impact of having ambassadors inside your organization and outside your organization. Um, so bringing some of that softer side to the mm-hmm. forefront mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and knowing that it's okay mm-hmm. to care about your people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me because um, as you say that, I'm thinking about a conversation I had just this morning, but, but I wanted to reflect for just a second on what you said about the culture, and it's sort of, in my mind, described a path where 20 years ago, it would have been all about molding the candidate to the company's ethos. And today, it's all about molding the company so that the, the experience for that individual is mm-hmm. as important as what used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that connection and that fit with that individual becomes as important as or perhaps even more important than fitting into some sort of cookie cutter corporate mold, mm-hmm. which we've discovered doesn't necessarily work right. in the long term, especially right. when you when you talk about retention. Yeah, and I would say as we look back at organizations who have, you know, many of which have been written about in a positive way, they, they have gotten that. Organizations mm-hmm. and leaders get that. But it also is driven a lot off of what future generations experienced from the more senior generations. You know, I grew up uh, very closely, very close to my grandfather, and he worked really hard Mm -hmm. but had very few relationships at work Mm -hmm. and then came home and was active in the community and engaged around Mm -hmm. the family. And Mm -hmm. I saw that Mm -hmm. and thought, you know, for me even personally, I want Mm -hmm. more than that, Mm -hmm. right? If I'm going to be around the talent and the relationships that I'm around all day long, you know, I want to have a great culture. I want the future of my talent that's with me today and the leaders that are with me today to experience their life's best, even in the workplace. So noticing what was lacking in one has really influenced myself and others. And we all need to pay attention to that. Like it, it is important. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about the future of work and, 
you know, ultimately everybody talks about we want to retain everyone and we want to, you know, what if the future of work means helping those employees and those team members be the best for their future, whether they're with you or not? How do you prepare them for their next mm-hmm. chapter? Mm-hmm. And while they're with you, how do you mm-hmm. bring out the best mm-hmm. of all people who are with you? But retention, I could see in 10 years us talking about the future health of the employee, whether that's with you or not. Mm -hmm. And I think retention as being the gold standard Mm -hmm. may actually get tweaked a little bit. That what if that next chapter, we help those employees move into those next chapters successfully? So in saying that, do you think many employers are at that stage right now where they would see that as beneficial? I do. Mm -hmm. I do. There are some extremely progressive employers Mm -hmm who realize the power of ambassadors and the Mm -hmm. power of alumni that don't take the alumni for granted, that know that's part of where innovation comes from, that's part of where our future team members come from, Mm -hmm. that's part of how we gain great insights and Mm -hmm. learn from other Mm -hmm. alumni being in the marketplace. And people want to bring that back to us so that they can help us perpetuate our success. I just think it will become more widely spread. Yeah, it's interesting. So I want to go back to this conversation I had this morning, which is a very specific situation, but it was with a colleague who was recounting they had just recently added the first person of color in their C-suite. And what the individual I was talking to was recounting the experience of a previous hire, a woman of color, who did not stay with the organization because, in retrospect, the, the message that came back was, that her onboarding process wasn't successful, that that nothing had been done in order to help her feel both comfortable in the organization and comfortable in the community. And as as our talent base diversifies in this region and and elsewhere, it feels like it's it becomes increasingly more important to be very aware of different cultural needs, different needs across identity. You know, what are you doing to help companies adapt and change to build, you know, to build into retention from the onboarding process or even the hiring process yeah, forward? So one of the things that we are doing when we launched the Talent Magnet Institute podcast, it was to go after, talk about, and attack the opportunities that organizations have Mm -hmm. to learn about things that they don't know who to ask and to gain insights from things that might make them feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So we're covering very important topics that we believe make an organization a talent magnet. So one of the things that we encourage people to do is be intentional about it, Mm -hmm. right? That we need to look at things through not our lens, but others gaining insights from your employees about their onboarding experiences proactively versus waiting for, I don't think that is going as well. Or, you know, what are you doing to gain insights and make sure that the insights are being gained by everyone that's coming through the experience, not just one particular demographic or aspect of the new talent that you're hiring. So giving open lines of feedback. You know, I was talking um, today with a group of CEOs And the discussion was the importance of real-time feedback, Mm -hmm. right? And whatever tools you might be using, we need to be using them. We need to be getting real-time feedback. And there's lots of different technologies that people are using to get real-time feedback, whether it's tools like Engagement Multiplier or uh, Tiny Pulse or others. Mm -hmm. So we need to be asking and we need to care enough to ask the questions 
versus look back. I wonder what people are experiencing in our onboarding processes. The other dynamic or, is, I wonder why they left. Or right. I wonder why they left. Yeah. You know, so many organizations, we all know the cost of, re, of turnover right. is tremendous. It's enormous, yeah. And if we would just take 25% of the amount of money that you're spending annually on your turnover calculation and put that into a proactive upfront strategy mm -hmm. to mitigate the challenges that you're facing, mm -hmm. you're already spending the money mm -hmm. is the greatest argument I could lay out for those listening. You're already spending the money. It's just in turnover cost. And you're, you know, how do we make it a part of our budget to think about transportation, to think about childcare, to think about health care, to think about not the benefits that the most senior executives need, but the resources that all of your employees need. Mm -hmm. um, I was on a panel recently and a um, individual shared that, you know, a lot of the noise that's created for HR are the one, are the, are the quote unquote problem employees. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we could just figure out how to make how to that go them. away, yeah. then we could focus on the high performing. And my feedback is that keep in mind that every employee has life experiences happening to them. And if we would just lean in and ask the questions of why certain things are affecting them and their punctuality or their the way they behave on the front line when other people manage through conflict, if we could help employees mm -hmm. learn how to manage more effectively through that, maybe no one's taught them how to manage conflict. Maybe they have to have a child at school at 8.30 and they can't get to the workplace by 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock or 7.30. Well, and then we're in an environment where transportation is, as you've already alluded to, a tremendous problem. Right. So getting to work is is often a challenge yeah. as well. And it's unfair yeah. to blame the human for that. Right. That's just trying to use the systems that are set up in front of them. Mm -hmm. It's more effective to learn about it and then say, oh, that's why the chamber is putting so much effort into transportation. Maybe I, as an employer, should actually lean in and become a part of that solution. Um, so listening to your employees was my comment to this, to the room yeah, of leaders that yeah. were at it. We need to listen to the topics that are coming up and how can we, as an employer, learn how to care about our people. Well, it's interesting, too, Mike, what you say, because you've, uh, you've really gotten into the whole arena of how do we retain particularly lower wage employees, entry-level employees. And, and I wouldn't have expected you to go there because you're, you're fundamentally an executive search mm -hmm. firm. But I think it's such an important topic. And as you were talking, I was thinking about some, you mentioned some of the solutions that we're starting to use in our community and, and, and creating more awareness about why people can't get to work on time or why they mm -hmm. leave early or why they're out sick or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so I think that what you're getting to is something that if we could if we could crack that code, just as we know that in education, the kinds of supports and techniques that have been used to help kids with learning disabilities learn better also work for kids who don't have disabilities right. and just make for better teaching and learning. Right. You know, I think what you're talking about is if you're listening to everyone and you're paying attention to what's going on in the organization, that that has the potential to make the organizational culture stronger and promote retention for all the right reasons, yeah. but also to develop people who we might have previously said are not to not don't aren't targets for development. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple things here for us that's important. So 
our um, particular business, uh, we pride ourselves in helping grow successful organizations. And by us listening to the CEOs and the heads of HR and the operational mm -hmm. business leaders that mm -hmm. we serve, the problems aren't just hiring the next great mm -hmm. executive, mm -hmm. right? And the those leaders who will move to this area, who will join a new organization, are also looking for progressive organizations, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. it's one of the reasons why, you know, we as a firm mm -hmm. do not place shop floor employees. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of friends who we know that do, mm -hmm. and we'll make those connections. But that that in many cases for our manufacturing clients or distribution clients might be their greatest need. So we're constantly helping proactively reframe the discussion and helping people understand that when people feel heard, they feel understood. And when they feel understood, they feel valued. And if we can get more people to feel understood and feel valued, the whole workforce, you will see a, a traditional business ROI by helping people across the organization feel valued. Mm -hmm. And that will increase retention, it will increase your ability to get referrals and to get employee recommendations and to get you know market feedback that's positive, that's being pumped into the marketplace. It'll also help with when people do leave, they might just go and recommend their friends and colleagues to check out the previous employment that they had and will be a brand ambassador for you mm -hmm. and creates a in a positive way, a vicious, positive life cycle of employment. So that's one of the reasons mm -hmm. why. And we also believe that as, as a family business, as a organization who serves family and privately held businesses a tremendous amount, employers need to care. We need to care about all of the people who work with us. And, if, and we look for organizations who care. So that's one of the reasons why we lean into this so much, because mm -hmm. we care. Mm -hmm. and, and we want to use our platform to help others have light bulbs go off and say, wow, I actually could have an opportunity to create some impact. Mm -hmm. If you listen to people who have social workers in their workplace or provide some type of counseling service mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. they assume, mm -hmm. assistance, yeah. they assume who will use those services Every employer you talk to will say we were shocked how many managers, directors, and even C-suite actually have used the employee assistant programs we mm -hmm. put in place. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know why? Because we all have life, and we all are human, and we all have challenges, and we all have a story. And good for you that you're allowing your employees to get healthier from that standpoint. You know, it just reminds me that I, and I think you share uh, a passion for the work of United Way as much as I do, but then, mm -hmm. you know, back in the day, we always we always looked at United Way as somebody who was helping people who were unfortunate, that, but those were not us. Mm -hmm. And and the message today is, of course, at some point in our lives, we are all going to need it could be me. that. And I think yeah. you just made that point about employee assistance. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about recruiting, because I know that's so much at the heart of your business. Mm -hmm. And you recruit for global corporations, mm -hmm. which means that you're sourcing talent from across the globe. And I'm curious about what skills and experience your own team needs to have in order to do that successfully? Yeah, so that's a great, so great question. One of the things that I would say gives a unique advantage to a firm doing global work is, and I know it sounds very basic, but is relationship building. You know, to be frank, one of the beauties of being in greater Cincinnati, Ohio, is that this is a global economy. 
and we have talent who moves here. We have served in the last five years companies in 16 different countries, mm -hmm. and most of those have been somehow attached to a relationship that was formed either while they were here mm -hmm. in greater Cincinnati or a friend of theirs was here, mm -hmm. and they utilized our services and got introduced to us. So I would say one is authentic relationship building. Mm -hmm. um, the other piece is we write our firm is known for leadership content and leadership content has no barriers. Content has no barriers to uh, borders. So our content gets picked up. You know, we have 30% of our podcast listeners in the first year came from European countries. We happen to serve a lot of European clients. So it shows that the clients that we represent in North America are also sharing that and our clients in Europe are picking up on it. Um, so there's a heavy international exposure that putting content in the marketplace, how that can help. The other piece is, again, I would think when, when international executives move to Cincinnati, our firm's one of the uh, first spots for those leaders to get introduced to because we help build networks. We help create framework. We pride ourselves in really understanding the impact of the community. A lot of leaders don't make their decisions solely off of money. It's based on what is their experience going to be in their new city? What is the experience that if they have a family, their family is going to experience mm -hmm. in a new mm -hmm. city? Mm -hmm. And what does the community look like or place of worship or friendship circles or networks that they're leaving behind in their foreign country or right here in the United States? Mm -hmm. And um, we spend a lot of time talking about the power and impact you can have when you're relocating executives. The characteristics and traits, when you do international search work, many times organizations want to know that the leaders that you're recruiting for them have international exposure into businesses that have international mm -hmm. exposure, mm -hmm. right? So there are organizations we've supported that if you look at their C-suite, their entire C-suite has to have exposure to what it's like look, working in a multinational organization. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of chemistry and culture components that come with that. Because when you recruit leaders who have worldly experiences, they do not walk in with what I would say blinders on, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They see the world very, vastly different. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, multicultural is just what they've always experienced mm -hmm. in their life. Mm -hmm. And if you're recruiting a leader who's only been in one city, their whole career or maybe in a section of a country, mm -hmm. um, that's all they know. So a lot of the multinational organizations, you'll see a lot of innovation coming out of that because they have leaders who come from every walk of life, and that's normal um, to create a culture it, like it, that. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely the way that they do business. But I'm curious, again, about how, so at, here at Centennial, as you think about the need then in that process you just described, to work across a variety of cultural norms or expectations and styles. I mean, you're right here in Newport, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. How have you and your team educated yourselves mm -hmm. in order to be able to work successfully with the kind of executives you just described? Sure. So, so lots of exposure. Mm -hmm. um, so forcing our team to think differently, encouraging our team to do things that might look a little outside the box mm -hmm. or, um, and get involved. You know, so we've been, Becky Sheeler on our team has been involved in Diverse by Design for many years with you and attending and gaining that exposure. You know, when we do leadership programs, just a couple years ago, we went to, took 
seven of us to a church, a multinational church in New York, in Queens, New York, mm -hmm. that led a leadership program mm -hmm. for a multicultural leadership experience. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure we have exposure. Mm -hmm. um, the other part is the individuals who understand that we, everyone has biases, mm -hmm. but how do we proactively be aware of our own? Mm -hmm. And how do we make sure that if naturally, you know, I don't want to think like I'm a born Cincinnatian and I love Cincinnati, but I can't think like purely a Cincinnatian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that exposure to international executives, the exposure to groups in our communities, multicultural chambers, multicultural friends and circles and networks, that extra exposure matters. Travel, experiencing the world. If you look at our team, both for the Talent Magnet Institute and Centennial Talent Strategy and Executive Search, we have a lot of leaders who have had experiences all over the world. Yeah. And that's really important. So I think that helps that mm -hmm. people know mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. they don't just, you know, oh, they actually serve international organizations, so they get me. Mm -hmm. They get us. They get how we think. Mm -hmm. And I would say that's an earned badge of honor for us because yeah. we work really hard at it. Right. But not something you came to naturally. You had to you had to work at it. You have you to said. work at it. You have yeah, to be intentional. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you you led us to a topic of bias and an implicit bias in particular, Mike. And it uh, once it, uh, I want to go back to your recruitment process and the four C's of that, which you've already mentioned: character, culture, competency, and chemistry. And when I was thinking about that earlier. Chemistry jumped off the page at me, and, and I wanted to dig into that a little bit because all too often when we're talking about why companies are not successful in recruitment or retention of more diverse employee base and building a more inclusive culture, it, it it's, it's in the search process that things go awry, and it's often because someone will say, that that candidate wasn't a good fit or, you know, the chemistry wasn't mm -hmm. right. So chemistry is kind of a bit of a loaded word mm -hmm. in my head. So I wanted to dig into what that means as you talk about it and also how you have worked to mitigate potential implicit bias in a search process in order to create more of an opportunity path for diverse candidates. Mm -hmm. It's a great question. So one of the, there's a few aspects of this that we'll, we'll unpack. We look at the chemistry dynamic for us is the interpersonal connection between the, the potential recruit and the team. And how does that group work? How do they operate? And we will, as a firm, push in a candidate that we believe makes that team healthier and more effective. And we share with our clients that, you know, based on, again, we take a, our clients through a very thorough understanding of what character, culture, chemistry looks like inside this organization. And, and we challenge it for our clients. And usually that's why they're introduced to us. That I was, you know, your process is much more intense mm -hmm. and intentional. Mm -hmm. um, so we listen to that. And we will share that based on how you're operating and who's operating and how you think and the lack of innovation or the incredible innovation or the incredible impact you're having or the lack of success, we'll introduce who we believe would make that chemistry stronger, but who also won't get rejected immediately, right? So thinking through that, we also commit to our clients that we're very intentional in diversity. So we have specific measures and approaches that we take to be 
very intentional in our in diversity of recruiting and we hold ourselves accountable to these metrics so in the last couple of years 40 percent of our in, of our placements have been diverse candidates in a variety of so categories. people who don't who are not white, white and european or yeah, yeah white males and looking at that again this is a heavy you know there's some international component there 26 mm-hmm. percent of the placements that our firms made in the last two years have been people of color mm-hmm. specifically mm-hmm. people of mm-hmm. color mm-hmm. so we're intentional mm-hmm. and we have team members mm-hmm. who hold us accountable we have mm-hmm. our board of advisors mm-hmm. who hold us accountable to that so i'm i'm curious about just to, to the point you just made at 26%, which is a really good number. One of the things that I understand is that if you have a, a pool of recruits and there's only one person of color or one woman in that pool, that the likelihood of them being hired is practically zero. Mm-hmm. So how do you build a pool to have that kind of a success rate? So in being very intentional. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying we have four great candidates, mm-hmm. we look at and say, okay, we have four candidates who could do the job. Mm-hmm but there is no diversity in this pool. Mm -hmm. And if you talk to any of our team, Mm -hmm. and Becky Sheeler in particular Mm -hmm. on our team runs the client engagement processes Mm -hmm. for clients. So she is high attuned to that specific focus. Mm -hmm. And our firm, to be frank, has become known for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you talk to one of our faculty members, Brenda Gums, who was the CHRO at Perfetti Van Mella Uh for many years, Mm -hmm. she would share that's one of the reasons Mm -hmm. They got business results, and they always forced us to have diverse pools of Mm -hmm. candidates. Mm -hmm. And we hear that quite a bit from clients. So we're extra intentional about it's not just four individuals who could be a CFO, but what is the diversity in this group? And we look at diversity very broadly, Mm -hmm. um, but to get these, you know, we're very intentional about Mm -hmm. making sure we're not overlooking someone because we didn't ask Mm -hmm. or because... You know, and we've had we have had lots of episodes on diversity and inclusion, and everyone says that you know I am naturally because of bias. Most of us are naturally inclined to hire someone who looks like me. Absolutely, yeah. And um, so we work very hard to focus intentionally on diversity. And we have companies call us and say we we don't have a diverse pool. And we don't feel comfortable making a hiring decision because of the lack of diversity of experience and ethnicity mm-hmm. and background mm-hmm. and uh, and the individuals. And so we take efforts there. Again, part of it's leaning in. Part of it's, you know, I serve on lots of different committees as it relates to um, helping our community win as a whole. I recently went on the African-American Chamber Board of Directors, and I take that as a, wow, you know, um, it's intentional that they ask Mm -hmm. and our Mm -hmm. brand, we're known for that, Mm -hmm. you know, cause Mm -hmm. we do. But also gives you a whole new resource. Also gives you a whole new resource. And I can't wait to meet Uh that network Uh and community, but also already know lots of people in a variety of communities and not isolated. Yeah. You said something a little while ago too, though, about, you know, when you present uh, a slate of candidates that you, and you want to be sure that there isn't anybody in there who'll be sort of rejected right at the start. And so it, it makes me wonder what a conversation would be like with a client, especially if you think that they have ruled out a highly qualified candidate because of implicit bias. So they're not yeah. aware of that sure. that's the reason they've done it, yeah. but you can see it. Yeah. So we do have those conversations, uh-huh. and we make it very clear mm-hmm. that you engaged us 
and we are very compliant to diversity and inclusion, and we would strongly recommend you meet this person. So if someone, you know, and again, to your point, it's not that that's the reason why they quickly remove someone typically. It's just they're looking for someone just like them. Mm -hmm. And because we did our research and homework and understanding and gain knowledge, we make it very clear that our goal is to bring you the right team. And we may say, you know, with all due respect, I think you really need to meet this person. You know, because they're usually not, they, or no human, I hope, I pray that no human would say, I'm not going to interview this person because of X, Y, and Z. You know, they and look this, this way. This is why we call it unconscious way. bias Uncon- because right. so often we're not aware yeah, you're of the not decisions even we're making. So, and why, yeah. driven so by, our yeah. firm spends a lot of time uh-huh. in this conversation around unconscious bias and implicit bias and understanding those things mm-hmm. so that we can identify that and it, again, this could be just based on even industry. Uh, we don't want to talk to that person; they don't understand our industry. Yeah. There you isn't know, enough of a pipeline. There isn't enough. Yeah. You know, many of the people who come in and disrupt and make businesses really successful are people who come from outside industries. Mm-hmm. So we push on that. Well, and I heard you say earlier that that what you're often looking for because you have done a deep dive with your clients is someone who is going to complement the existing skills in the leadership group, not mirror them. Right. Um, and so, you know, sort of staying with this, you know, idea of, of introducing new blood into, mm-hmm. into a firm and maybe someone whose background identity is different than, mm-hmm. than the majority of people in the organization. Do you play a role in helping them to be successful once they're in the organization? And what does that look like on the part of that, that individual that you've placed in on the part of the company? Mm-hmm. So, we would love to play an even greater role on the majority. I would say the, the minority say, yes, we need your help mm-hmm. here. Some organizations say, we got this. Mm-hmm. Um, if we have identified that, well, you have had three individuals in this role in the last five years mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. don't have this, mm-hmm. uh, we will make a very proactive focus. We share with everyone we can help you with onboarding and looking mm-hmm. at this, but not every company takes us up on it. Every candidate, our firm is known to stay in very close contact with. So if we start hearing things that, you know, here's what's taking place and I feel like I am being rejected because I don't think like everyone else, then we set up times with the hiring manager and or CEO of the organization and have a proactive dialogue without throwing the new hired candidate under the bus, Mm -hmm. but talk about the interactions and how are things going? And well, there's some type of discontent when she or he walks in the room and well, why is that? Right? Because usually everyone's feeling it. What we try to do is let's talk about our feelings and let's address how do we help make this better? Mm -hmm. Um, Which in most cases, what happens is somebody Mm -hmm. either leaves or gets fired. Mm -hmm. And we would like to keep from that and focus on retention. So how does that align with the work that you do in culture change? Because it strikes me that what you were just saying is um, we're talking about the desire that so many, I think, leading companies have today to to create workplaces where 
everyone can bring their whole selves to work. Mm -hmm. They don't have to assimilate. They don't have to hide a part of their identity mm -hmm. at the door. They can be authentically themselves. How does your branch of your business that works with culture yeah. help make that happen? Yeah. So um, this side is where a, another aspect of how the Talent Magnet Institute came about, mm -hmm. that organizations were sharing with us, we need more help, mm -hmm. right? We you know, hiring them and we all, you know, hiring is not the sole be all and end all. Um, we need more help. We want to be more proactive. We don't know where to turn. We don't know what resources to deploy. So we started taking some of our effort that we were already doing with clients there and really saying, well, we can step into this space. So for those who want to proactively manage culture, we're, we're trying to do a few things. One, a free resource is follow our content because we're writing very intentional content to help influence the way people think and behave. And we get feedback. You know, just yesterday I was reading a email from an executive who's a client of ours that we had placed many years ago. And uh, he read something that we talked about regarding mental health. Mm -hmm. And why would a search firm write or why would the Talent Magnet Institute talk about mental health? Because Everyone, you know, I was talking to another leader yesterday, said 94% of the people in our organization either is affected or know someone affected by mental health um, issues or challenges. Mm -hmm. um, so we write content on that through mm -hmm. the Talent Magnet Institute mm -hmm. and leaders are picking up on it and leaders are hearing it. The other thing that we do, we have team members who um, have really dedicated their whole lives to culture change and understanding it and gaining knowledge about it. So we have some incredible facilitators who come in and lead people through an experience that really defines culture mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the way we believe it should. Mm -hmm. But there's just not a lot of, you know, we're just starting to catch up where culture is becoming the hot thing to talk about. Mm -hmm. But culture's always existed. And mm -hmm. so we have resources and experiences we take people through to really understand what culture feels like so that you can be more proactive in how you manage it and how you think about it and how you how you individually those listening myself how we make an impact on the culture that we have um, it's really important to understand that and and it's really important to know what it is versus just assume to ask the questions so again part of what the talent magnet institute does is we go in and we ask the questions and we get deployed to be a resource to help you gather those insights so that you're knowledgeable about what your culture is and how people experience it. And and you're sharing that with everyone, client or no, which is something that makes it unusual, I think. Yeah, we're sharing our content with anyone. Your content is open to everyone. Our content, um, yeah. And the insights that you gain from all your experience and then these conversations yeah. is available to anyone, which I think is really interesting and important. And I want to I come back to that uh, question about talent in just a moment, but I want to bring it back to the Cincinnati Chamber for just a moment because you started our conversation, Mike, by talking about succession planning and how, you know, you and your dad both ended up here at Centennial. Mm -hmm. And you know that we have one of the best minority business accelerators in the country at the Cincinnati Chamber. And um, we have great ambitions to grow the companies in our portfolio over the next few years to an even greater scale than ever before with thousands of new jobs created. And one of the ways or strategies that we're looking at for scaling up those companies is not just through natural growth, but also through acquisition. And so one target for us 
is family-owned businesses where mm -hmm. there is no likely successor. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, as you think about your own clients, the family businesses that you deal with, how would you present an opportunity like that to them? So if it's a majority-owned company, how would you talk to them about an opportunity to be acquired by a minority-owned company? Oh, great question. So one of them, again, is back to being intentional, making sure that they're they're aware of all opportunities. And I think this conversation, mm -hmm. someone's going to hear this and go, you know what? I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. hmm, I should probably reach out to mm -hmm. the MBA and mm -hmm. see what they're doing uh -huh. and talk to them. And mm -hmm. um, so one of our hopes is through, for example, through our content, we hope to open up an ear, heart, and mind to a new idea, mm -hmm. right? Through our podcast, through our written content, through what we share. And I think for us, so we do see this. We do a lot of work with family-owned businesses seeking non-family executives mm -hmm. and or seeking their path forward, whether that is sale to private equity, whether that is an ESOP to their employees, whether that is thinking about my next generation's not ready, and I need a non-family leader, um, whether that's get their next generation ready and develop them, prepare them, or we need to sell and we're open to a private buyer. And I think the option is for people to be aware of it, mm -hmm. that this is an opportunity, that this is, you know, I, um, I speak a lot on inclusive capitalism and I, I just, I love the thought and the mindset and the leaders that, what that means. And this is inclusive capitalism, thinking about you know, I'm a majority-owned family business. I don't have a strategy forward, and I need to be inclusive. What does that inclusion look mm -hmm. like when it's mm -hmm. talking about potential mm -hmm. sale of my business? Mm -hmm. And um, and it also means for those who are in the minority to raise awareness of their interest, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. share with others, mm -hmm. to make not just the minority networks, but the majority networks, right. if that's the way you want to frame yeah, that right. up, go to the Garing Center mm -hmm. here in Cincinnati mm -hmm. and say, hey, mm -hmm. we're looking for acquisitions. Right. If you ever come across an opportunity, get involved in the right. Garing Center and get involved in Vistage and YPO and the Chamber CEO Roundtables and be in the right places and mm -hmm. share with others mm -hmm. that we're looking to acquire and grow an organization and we want people to be aware of it. Yeah, That's what, you know, if you look at private equity, private equity firms around the world love Cincinnati companies because they're typically brilliant ideas, brilliant businesses, but need a little bit more capital mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or a lot more capital mm -hmm. to reach its fullest potential. Mm -hmm. Or they've got genius engineering, genius process, but could use more talent mm -hmm. or great talent, but could use better engineering. There's something about the Midwest that private equity firms love and they're from all over the world. They are very intentional on going after and educating businesses about their interest to buy them. So I would say we need to do the same with the MBA mm -hmm, needs mm -hmm, to be sharing mm -hmm. that, hey, we're raising mm -hmm. our hands. We want to grow. We want to acquire. Mm -hmm. Let's make people aware right. of that so yeah. that it, they know that that's an option. Right. So it's out there in the water. That it's out there people. in the water. Yeah, absolutely. So as we, as we wrap up, Mike, I realize that you have, through this creation of the Talent Magnet Institute and the podcast, which now has had how many episodes? So we have had 66 episodes. And heard in how many countries again? So we are up to 52 countries. 
And how many downloads? We've had eight, uh, 17,816 downloads as of wow. as of today because I have and, it up. <laughs> and uh, our Inclusive Chamber podcast listeners can find you where? So they can find the podcast by Googling or on any, you can type Talent Magnet Institute podcast, uh-huh. or you can go to Talent Magnet Institute podcast and use your, and any podcast recording. And then myself, you can reach out to me directly through any tools, um, social media or website. Yeah, yeah. Your search engine optimized. We are search engine optimized. No no kidding, no kidding. (laughs) And so so I realize that you've offered all this content up and it's available to everyone. And there are so many different kinds of insights in the body of work that you've already created. But as we wrap up, I I would just like to hear a little bit more from you. And you you mentioned earlier the future of work. And as we think about talent is your central reason for being, and you think about the future, what are a couple of things that you think everyone should be thinking about mm. as they think about how to build the workforce of the future? Yeah. So there's a few points here that might be a little non-traditional coming mm-hmm. from a search consultant. One is the power of courageous and important conversations. I think peop- you know we need to be open up your cultures and environments to have courageous conversations. Lean in with your community, with businesses, with fellow business owners, with your team members, and be willing to just, people want to lean into courageous conversations. And, but it can be a challenge. I think the importance and the reason why you would do it is because all people matter. And the more we feel understood, the more we feel valued. And so helping people feel understood can come out greatly in courageous conversations. The other thing that I'd like to share both with our community and with individuals as we look at leadership, we we talk about the four laws of communication. And I think this matters a lot in the future of work, where culture matters, where people's experiences matter. So the first one is stay current, act, don't react, attack the problem, not the person, and speak the truth in love. I think if we could get employers to do those four things, if we can get people in our community to do those four things, we'll come to it with a desire to understand both sides of every conversation, a desire to understand and a desire to help others feel understood, which is crucially important for us to all feel valued, no matter what side of any conversation we're coming at. When when you can do that with your customers, with your employees, mm-hmm. and more importantly, with your community and your family, those types of things can unlock tremendous potential and can set us on a great future of success. I, I'm smiling because when you said you, that, that we should come to this in love, a bell went off in my head because, you know, we gather young professionals every year at an event called Bold Fusion, which is coming up in a few weeks. And our theme this year is basically love is the future of mm-hmm. work. So you are so on target. Mm-hmm. We're thinking about that very same topic in a, in a very important way right now. I want to thank Mike Sipple Jr., the president of Centennial Inc., for being my guest today and also for inviting us into his podcast studio to record this episode of the Inclusive Chamber podcast. I'm Mary Stagaman, your host, and I invite you to listen to all of our podcasts at cincinnatichamber.com slash the Inclusive Chamber podcast.